the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is a busy, busy Monday here as we join you at 11 a.m. Eastern time. You might know our friends at 24-7 Sports. They've got a whole portal palooza. They've been going live on YouTube all the way since 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, we'll be you know, popping over there around 1 p.m. Eastern time to offer the whatever expertise we can uh, to this extremely revolving door in here. Before we get out of here, we are going to discuss, um, you know, some of the notables that we've had here on this Monday morning. I think it is not crazy to say that by the end of Monday, hundreds of college football players will have entered the transfer portal just today. Um, Maybe it's going to be thousands but a, Billions. A, a wild, wild day when it comes to personnel uh, in college football. Again, our partners at 24-7 Sports got an, in the full live stream going wall-to-wall coverage through the day. Uh, we will get to a little bit of that here. Of course, as you see from the video uh, title, we're going to be breaking down our favorite bowl games. Our own Tom Fernelli ranks every single one of them. Danny and I have some that we want to highlight as well. So we will be breaking down the best bowl games, the, one that, the ones that you w- want to make sure that you don't want to miss. But let's start with some coaching news because there's a man who we have referenced as Hot Cedar Fields. You know what is one of the best ways to cool down the pants? It's to change them. So Scott Satterfield introduced as the next head coach at Cincinnati. He takes over a program that Luke Fickle has leveled up into one of the best in the American Conference, and it is a program that is making the move to the Big 12 Conference beginning next year. That is now a Power 5 job. Before we get to the Louisville side of this, Danny, what's the, uh, obviously, C+. And, you know, Tom, obviously, I have no idea how it will work out. But when, if you were Scott Satterfield, do you, do you like this move? Do you think that this is a, a good opportunity for him to restart the clock? I mean, if you, I'm assuming he's getting a raise, right? You're not going to take a lesser pay. It and you might got, be competitive. 
I don't know okay. about the details, but but I think the most important thing you said is per like the resetting of the clock, the perception of you, as opposed to getting fired, and then you're kind of oh this guy got fired. If you leave of your own accord, I think that's a better move all the time. Yes, you would like to be able to stay and turn that narrative around yourself, but if you can change it and leave when you can, I mean, let, let's be honest. This relationship has been dicey ever since he flirted two years ago mm -hmm. with another. And to, I mean, he was he was a little too honest with everybody by putting that out there, but it just seems like the relationship has been fractured since then. Yeah, if you can parlay this season where you know if it was eight and four i think we're having a totally different conversation but it did come up short of that in that loss to kentucky if you can parlay it but i see here's the thing i don't think cincinnati's a better job but i think it's the smart move for him to make does that make sense oh yeah without yeah. a doubt yeah no it's it's strange it's unexpected but at the same time it's not surprising because like you were saying this is He's interviewed for other jobs. It has felt like for the last couple of years that if another opportunity arose that Scott Satterfield found desirable, he was probably going to jump at it unless things went like things changed. It went really well at Louisville because I, I don't know what it is, but clearly he was never super happy with the pro being there after he took the job. So I think with Cincinnati moving to a power five, that obviously helps make it more likely to happen because you're not going from a P5 job to a G5 job anymore. You're, you're, you're going to be joining the Big 12. You're joining a team that has shown it can get to the college football playoff. Now, we it, there's an uncertain future about it in the Big 12 because you don't know what it's going to be like in that entirely new landscape. But it's good for Satterfield. I don't know if it's the most logical hire on Cincinnati's part. Hmm. Like, again, it's a good hire. I have no idea if it'll work out. But when we were talking about candidates for this job after Fickle left for Wisconsin, like, I thought there were a lot of really good names that made a whole lot of sense. And nothing against FAU, but for Tom Herman to end up at FAU when Cincinnati was available, that tells me Cincinnati wasn't all that interested in Herman. And just my own personal preference I would rather have Tom Herman than Scott Satterfield, who I like, but it's not as if he was lighting the world on fire at Louisville. This is a program where let's, if you survey the Louisville fans right now, I don't think they're going to be that upset by this. A, because they didn't really seem to like him that much, and B, because of who they likely have their eyes on to replace him, who they've wanted for a long time. So... I don't know. It is. It is a. It was an unexpected thing to move to wake up to this morning. It cost me to adjust my bowl rankings because let's not yeah, forget Fenway. <laughs> the Fenway Bowl is between Cincinnati and Louisville, and I don't want to spoil things. But the Fenway Bowl uh, took a lot of sleep in the rankings this morning. Who would you rather? Who would you rather have, Brian Hartline or Scott Satterfield? Brian Hartline. Sa mm -hmm. If I'm Cincinnati. I agree. I'm with Tom. I but I there is an inexperience factor you don't mm -hmm. know, but I think the the upside could potentially be higher. Would you rather have Dion or Scott Satterfield? Depends I don't know. We'll get we'll get to Dion in a second. I want to get thoughts <laughs> on the first twenty four hours. I'm just looking at some of the names that we talked about, which is kind yeah. of to Tom's point. Like if you're a Cincinnati fan, you thought you were in the market for some of these coaches, which. I think if the opening press conference would have infused a lot more life and energy into a fan base where 
I'm sure there's some Cincinnati fans are probably Googling real quick, you know, you know, who Scott Satterfield, where's he been? What's his record been? What's okay. Let's look at his story. Like, and I think it might be again, C plus so like might be work out. It might not. It might be a great fit, but I just feel like the reaction, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for him to win over some of those fans. And by the way, Luke Fickle sent it set an incredibly high bar. Yeah. And now you have a different bar that you're trying to get to, but the expectation is you better get 10, 11 wins every year. That's what Luke Fickle brought you. And it's going to be a lot tougher to do that in the new landscape. Yeah. Like Sat's getting off the hot seat in Louisville, but now he's the guy following the guy. And that's never a fun situation to be in unless you have success right away. But the good news is depending on where he lives since taking the Louisville job, he might not have to move. It's not a very long drive between cities, between Louisville and Cincinnati. He he's always had that uh, that home in North Carolina. Remember, it's like oh, true. I, got, I got family back there, so you know, always always got to keep it open. Um, the move itself reminded me a little bit of Dana Holgerson, who was not fired by West Virginia, but left to go take the Houston job. And I don't have as clear a view of comparing the West Virginia and the Houston job, but it was literally like your contract was not going to get extended anymore at West Virginia, and you go sign a new contract. And at Louisville, I don't know, you know, Scott Satterfield had a pretty good recruiting class, which I imagine is not going to, you know, hold together quite as well. And unless, you know, depending on how quickly they can move to replace him, um, you know, he had probably the the sand was starting to run out of the hourglass. And now he legitimately starts with an entirely full you know, brand new contract, brand new set of expectations. You know, he moves ahead, stays ahead of the firing squad. From Scott Satterfield's perspective in his own career, I understand the move. I think Louisville's a better job. I think Louisville is a better job because that you've got more resources. I think that when you look at that community, they treat the, both the football and the basketball programs like the professional, mm-hmm. pro, the professional franchises of the city of Louisville. I think that their NIL operations probably well stocked and you know, seems as though Cincinnati is going to have to really ramp that up uh, to be able to compete in the Big 12. So you are, in my opinion, taking maybe a lateral to half step down going from Louisville to Cincinnati. But what you are doing is you're buying yourself uh, more years of being at the Power 5 level which is more money and at least a, a fresh opportunity to be able to restart and see if you can have some success there with a the Bearcats program that's in a that's in a much better place than it was when Fickle took over for sure. So to now, oh, go, got something? I was gonna say though, I, are we? Sh- I I agree with you as far as passion. There aren't many colleges out there that on both the football and basketball side that have more passionate fan bases as Louisville. We know they have booster money and booster buy-in that has helped you know fuel some crazy times in both of those programs but it's also the supports there when you need it and typically as long as you're winning whatever you need they will work to get for you but i do i don't think the gap between it and cincinnati is that significant particularly now that cincinnati's joining the big 12 and also that if you just look at the future of the big 12 Again, we don't know what it's going to look like, but you can also argue Cincinnati's got a much clearer path to the playoff in the Big 12 than Louisville's ever going to have in the ACC. Maybe. Well, I mean, it's it's re- reset time in the Big 12. All mm-hmm. right, so what about Louisville? It's is is this going to happen? I There's no way he says no twice, says Tom. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think there is. I mean, I I have no inside information here. This is just 
pure speculation. But if you're Jeff Brom, you already said no to Louisville once because the timing, you just, you had a very talented roster of guys you recruited at the time that were still there and the ceiling was pretty high. And it kind of culminated this year with a Big Ten West Division title. They just played in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Conference Championship. Are you going to say no to him twice? Like, are you going to take the risk of sitting around for another few years and still thinking that Louisville's going to come ask you a third time if you say no again? Especially knowing that if you look at the Big Ten with USC and UCLA coming in, the conference is likely going to do away with divisions. Maybe it won't. But what are the odds Purdue's getting back to a Big Ten championship game at any point in the next few years? What are the odds that he's going to have a more successful season as far as accomplishments with the Boilermakers than the one he had this year. Like this is, he's done a fantastic job at the program. He has taken like that place was down in the dumps for a while. And he's kind of, he's made it a good team. He's made it a good program. He's made it the program that like, you know, just played for a conference title. He's recruited. Well, he's gotten the facilities improved. He's played a big role in that, but is he taking it as far as he can realistically take it? And the appeal of going quote unquote home to your alma mater as they come calling for the second time, like, I, there is a chance that with the money disparity between the Big Ten and ACC, he says, well, I got you know, I'm just, I can, I can compete more here. I can get better things. I can, you know, in the NIL transfer portal world, I'll have more resources available to me here than at Louisville. But if Louisville is somewhere he truly loves and wants to be, I just don't see him saying no twice. I don't think he's going to care as much about other this stuff because as we talked about, at Louisville, if you're winning and you want something, They'll get it for you. Do you? I think this is something where I don't know Jeff Brom's inner workings. I don't know his inner desire. Some some people, you know, you go to college place, even if you played there. All right. So let me the yeah. next job is the best one. You know, I don't care. Other guys, you know, bleed garnet and gold, or you're a Michigan man through and through. I don't know. I think fans want to believe that every coach that played there like bleeds the colors of the university. There's a lot that goes into this. It's a big decision, all of which you just mentioned, Tom. I would say if you're looking at – like I know they're doing away with divisions, but who do you think is going to get multiple teams in the playoff once we expand? And, you know, I, I, I'm really concerned about the ACC and about – you know, is is Louisville one of the teams if they start dividing revenue and doing a revenue share type of system as opposed to, you know, equal payouts to all the ACC schools? How does that impact Louisville from the football standpoint? So that's a bit of a question mark. So if you're looking at from street, like I hate to admit it as an ACC guy, and I think this is something that, you know, Commissioner Phillips needs to look at as a, as a sign of concern, but from a, a health standpoint of, what kind of resources you're going to have and what kind of access you're going to have to the playoffs and just coffers that you're going to be able to pay players. I, I think you stay at Purdue. I mean, look at the transfer portal today. The conference of quarterbacks is dwindling pretty quickly in the quarterback <laughs> department. We'll get to that and just yeah, the conference of quarterbacks. It's, it, I, I was like, I'm, I understand that I have ACC bias, but as I was making my list of, of notable quarterbacks, I'm like Jeff Sims, like, are these all? Are these all ACC quarterbacks? But here's my thing on Brom. Um, from Louisville, like, was an assistant at Louisville. You know, the 
the times that he comes back in the off season and he has his, uh, you know, he, he always stops by and he always talks to all the Louisville high school football coaches. He's still got a really good relationship with a lot of those high school football coaches. We'll remember the way that he's been able to go into Kentucky and pluck out some really good recruits and be able to get them to Purdue. I don't know exactly what coaches would consider the clock also these days, but this was his sixth season at Purdue. You know, that's, in, in the modern era, that, that's a long time. By the time you get to like seven, eight or so, either you know, you've established yourself as like an all-timer for the program or fans are going to start to get a little restless. Not you, Tom, you mentioned they just played for a Big Ten title in Indianapolis. Like, is, is that as good as it's going to get? Can you look Purdue in the eye and just say like, look, this has been an incredible experience, but I, I think... I think that we've done what we can do here, and now is the time. The timing almost feels perfect for Brom to be able to make this romantic, emotional decision to a job uh, in a conference that is lesser in terms of resources, that will probably have less teams in the college football playoff, but to one where you are going to be able to activate that university and that city to get whatever you need. There will be no pushback on admissions, There'll be no pushback on resources. Any obstacles are gone just by the name, mentioning the name Brom around the Louisville community. So I, I would understand it. I feel like it might be done by dinner. Does Malik Cunningham have another year of eligibility left? Would, you would stay just because Brom would unlock a amazing. I'm just no, just office. selfishly. I would really like to see Malik Cunningham play for Jeff Brom. I would really like to see what they did together. Because I think that would be very entertaining. Um, other uh, sort of coaching news here in the last uh, 48, 72 hours. Uh, we've got North Texas firing Seth Luttrell. Uh, Liberty hires Jamie Chadwell officially. Coastal the eyeing NC State offensive coordinator Tim Beck as the replacement. Uh, USF makes the hire of Alex Golish, the offensive coordinator from Tennessee. Tom Herman officially introduced at FAU. And Dion's had quite a 24 hours as the head coach of Colorado. Danny, what do you make of uh, what do you make of Dion's? Because obviously the cameras are rolling. Yeah, and, and he has made quite an impression already, including introducing his son as the the team's new quarterback, QB one. Competition and, uh, over. And so I guess not. They say every job is open when there's a new hire in town. Not in this case. Oh, what do you, what do you make of Dion's first 24 hours uh, as the Colorado head coach? So, lot to take in, right? There's a been a lot to take in. Um, I love it from a content perspective. Like it gives us a ton to talk about. I think you know, there was a cl- I watched the whole what was it, 8 or 9 minutes in front of the team, you know, when they had the cameras following him. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought his message was one that I've heard a lot in different locker rooms, probably primarily skewed towards an NFL locker room where it's a little bit more cutthroat. Hey, I'm keeping guys that I want, and if you ain't good enough, you're getting cut. That, to me, was a message that I thought where it it shocked a lot of people, but that's a reality that I think a lot of coaches say the same message at a program that's one of the worst in college football. Like, I'm kind of – like, yeah, what else do you want him to say? Do you want him to coddle these guys and say, I'm going to turn you guys into stars? No, he's going to say, you're either good enough or you're not. And if you're not, then you're gone. And I thought you, I, I was, you know, 
I was trying to look very closely at some of the players' faces in the video. I think they were a little bit shell-shocked because I think they thought it was going to be a lovey-dovey, I'm so excited to be here type of moment. And Dion had anything but that. But I thought it – I think it's going to – who said on our text that it was either going to be all or nothing? Because I kind of do wow. feel – I'm I'm kind of in that camp with Tom. Like it's either going to be a home run or it's going to be a disaster. I don't know if there's a seven and five, you know, a couple years of you know mediocrity. I think it's either going to be spectacular or it's going to be spectacularly bad. I will say this: like it's a unique aspect when one of the first things you're asked to do as a player is to sign a waiver that so the cameras can be on and following you everywhere you go. That doesn't happen at every university. No, some players will find that attractive though. You know, like, hey, that's one of the attractions of Dion. He'll sell that to recruits and portal, you know, guys in the portal. You come here, I'm going to build you a brand too. Yes, I'm going to make you into a great football player, but you're going to get exposure that you wouldn't get anywhere else. So I think it's going to be exciting. We're going to watch it closely. There is zero question, infuses a ton of life into Colorado's program. From what I've heard, they are going to address some of the issues they've had before with getting players in through the portal yep. requirements. They're going to address that. So if you give Dion what he needs, good luck, man. Let's watch it. Let's have a party and get our popcorn out and start watching it. See, and that that's where my problem comes in. Like, I don't have a problem with what Dion said to the players in that video. He's taking over a team that went one and eleven. Right. If, they, yeah, if you think your job is cool. secure, you've got you know. Here's your wake up call. If you work hard and you want to be here, you'll be here. If you don't, there's the door. It's a pretty standard kind of message that new coaches will give teams, especially when they're taking over terrible teams. And Colorado was a terrible team. My problem is that it's all being recorded, and he's having them sign you know like waivers. It's like, can, is it cool if we release this? It's. I think that if Dion just is a football coach coming into a program, given his stature and his profile, can help revitalize a program. We've already seen him do it at Jackson State. Mm-hmm. He's making Colorado an attractive destination for top talent that would have never considered it if it wasn't for Dion Sanders being there. But is he trying to be a football coach and build a program, or is he trying to build a reality television show? And having that being recorded and having the camera crews follow everything around, that's where I feel like the lines get blurred because every school has like a social media team where they film the coach giving like a whatever speech and then they cut it together and it's like the team celebrating the locker room, all that kind of stuff. But I feel like this is a TV show that they're trying to create here, like a series of episodes, more than just little clips that are going to be on social media. And that kind of... I don't know, old manish. That's just like I feel like you're, you're, the, the tail's wagging the dog there. Build the team, and then the team can produce the content with winning football games. Don't try to build a TV show and hope to win on the way. But what did he do at Jackson State? That's what he knows because he built the t- he built the brand, trusting that players will follow the brand, which I think is more in tune with today's player than you or I. Because right, I'm yeah. with you. Like, do you really want? Like, what are we really about? But today's player, a lot of them say, "Yeah, oh, I'm going to be on. Every, I'm going to gain a hundred thousand followers." I've had my own Netflix show on my Instagram channel yeah. all the time. Like I've been, I've been doing a behind the scenes of my rise in this game, and I've been broadcasting it myself. And now I get to be alongside co-star Dion Sanders, Coach Prime. It's, it's not for me, but I, I think that come be a star on my TV show is going to work for some but, recruits. But. 
but will it work on the field? Because there's the thing, like Jackson State, it's in the SWAC, which is a great conference with a ton of tradition, but in recent years hasn't exactly been the most powerful football conference in the country. So when you attract five-star recruits and P5 transfers playing against the rest of that conference, the talent edge is ridiculous. You're going to win those games. There are no Utahs there. There aren't any Oregons. There aren't any Washingtons. So just strictly attracting players to help build their brands. Like if that's the goal, great. But if there's bigger goals and like winning games, I don't know if this is the approach that's going to work, which is why I'm firmly in the, this is either going to be incredible. Colorado is going to be competing for Pac-12 titles and playoff bursts, or it is going to be a disaster. I don't see an in-between. Here's where I think is interesting. And I think this is why the Dion hire is one thing. Who's on his staff, I think, is almost more important. Because I don't, Dion, he's not going to be, uh, you know, like we see Saban all the time, you know, going around every single drill, making the little points and micromanaging. I think Dion has taken a page out of Bobby Bowden's playbook. And I think where Bobby Bowden, one of the things he learned, and it might have looked completely different, but Bobby knew the value in building a brand. Right. I mean, he built the brand of Florida State and he did it by, you know, playing anybody anywhere and, you know, by doing a TV show that was, you know, one of the first guys to do it. I mean, a lot of coaches have done it, but he was one of the first to really embrace it. I, and like if he gets Mike Zimmer, who is an analyst on his staff with head coaching NFL experience to be his defensive coordinator, which I would think why else would Mike Zimmer have done, you know, been an analyst this past season other than to think, hey, the next stop, I'm going to get a massive opportunity. You know, I, I think that's why his position hires strength and conditioning. Who's that going to be? Like, mm-hmm. I think his staff becomes the most important thing now. But to Tom's point, you can miss on some of those guys at Jackson State. Like, you can have a, you know, you, you did have a significant talent edge. I was trying to go back and look at their schedule, but it seems to me that I recall a lot of their games were pretty much in hand. There weren't a lot of one-possession games. They were pretty much dominating because they had amassed so much talent. There's not only is there, you know, no Utah, Oregon, but there's a lot of Arizona, Arizona states that you didn't face at Jackson, Jackson State either. Like you got to go through an entire schedule now. And by the way, it starts week one with Nebraska. Let's go. Like this is going to be, I think it's going to be fun. I, I think it's going to be very fascinating to watch it unfold. So um, the school has announced that they're going to work with Dion on some of these transfer admission standards, which was one of the reasons why I was not valuing the Colorado job as highly as a potential landing spot. That if your goal is going to be to get in there and flip the roster as quickly as possible, then having any kind of obstacles getting players in was not going to be something that uh, was going to make that uh, as attractive. So, okay, we're doing that. Didn't, Didn't we also get some quotes like, we don't have the money right now, but I'm not worried about it. The money will come in. Yes, he That's absolutely not- was asked. And he absolutely said, we don't have it yet. We don't have it yet. But that's not as out of the ordinary as you think. That's I know, pretty I know. standard. It's, it's, it's the Gator Collective. I understand. Like, thank you for, yes, bringing in the context that, you know, because so many of these are on like pledges, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the money has been pledged. The cash is not there. He was being honest, maybe more honest than a lot of athletic directors would be. But it did sound hilarious. Like, no, 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 but don't you worry. I mean, it it really sounded like a, like a Hollywood pitch. Like, no, no, don't worry. This will be a smash. It'll be a box office smash. It'll be good. You'll get all your money back. I promise. 
Also, that's how movies are made. The money's not here yet, but we will pay you if you do I it. do think, too, I think the thing that Dion will bring, I think he's got that dog in him. Like, And I think Colorado needs some of that. You know, he needs some players with an edge. And I think he... I think he pl- I think he rides with that chip on his shoulder and you know I think he can motivate these I think he'll I I think it's going to be fun. I would lean towards more towards the boom side, but my massive concern now especially that he's introduced his quarterback to the world, good luck trying to get a backup. So if anything mm-hmm. happens to Shador, they're probably toast. And also Shador, we have no idea. Like, yes, he was good. And, uh, you know, some people that put him out there for the Heisman was kind of ridiculous. But we don't know how good he's going to be at the Power 5 level in this, you know, landscape. If he's not very – you need a quarterback. And I know dion has got confidence. He's his son. But if you miss on him and there's – no, because who's going to come transfer into there as a quarterback? Like, I know I'm not. And if I'm there, I'm out of there. You're not even telling me I can compete for the job? Mm -hmm. That, to me, is a major concern. Yeah, and I, I want it to work because Me too. I've always had a soft spot for Colorado to begin with, but I just think it would be good for college football as a whole if Deion Sanders is a successful coach and he's taking a program out west because we need, you know, it's good to have powerful programs all around the country. It's good to have guys who will get attention for being a good coach and running powerful programs. So it'd be good for the sport if Dion succeeds. So I want it to happen. Great for the Pac-12, which is about to lose yes. USC and UCLA, that if you've got uh, a Colorado led by Coach Prime out there as one of the you know the big attractions, then the value of the Pac-12 and the interest in the Pac-12 is going to be sky high. Officially, I will say that I do think it will be successful. I think that I'm not all the way with Tom and that it's going to be boom or bust because I think that there's a version of boom that might be eight and four, you know, where that one of those eight is taking down one of the conference powers, but that there might not be enough consistency to always be able to go uh, 12 and 0, 11 and 1, 10 and 2. And that when you're fluctuating the roster a lot, maybe that's where some of that you're not going to, it's hard to go up against Utah, for example. When, you, when you've got the kind of fluctuation that you've got versus what Kyle Whittingham has established over time. That's you know, just just one sort of thought that the top of the Pac-12 is so strong, I can't imagine Colorado jumping straight there. But I think that Colorado, under Deion Sanders, will very, very quickly jump out of the bottom of the Pac-12 and find itself competing to be the fourth, fifth, sixth best team in the conference. But if, let me ask you, if Colorado is going 7-5, and 8-4, and 9-3, and three, how long do you think Dion's sticking around to go seven and five, eight and four, and nine and three? I don't know. I can't. I can't know that. We got th- this. Has happened very quickly. We just introduced him at the Power Five level. We got to at least see what happens, right? I just pulled up. I think their first home game is Nebraska. I'm looking at their 2023 schedule. It says on the road against TCU Week One. Yeah, because they oh, hosted yeah. TCU. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they're jumping right in both oh, yeah. right into the deep end. Mm-hmm. TCU and Nebraska right off the get-go. That I hope they I hope they put that, you know, like on the opening weekend, they don't have a t- a date announced for that yet. Maybe they could change it. I hope that's like the Sunday night game. Yeah. So oh. we can all just watch it. Just all hold hands and just but take I don't, them all in. I don't know now with all the new TV deals what's going to be what. So Um any, anything else on the coaching front that that stood out? From the the last twenty four to forty eight hours, and any any burning thoughts? It, C plus. 
No, I was a little surprised. I mean, Seth Rattrell, like if you're, I think you're dialed in. You knew he was kind of on the hot seat. It's a weird look that he was in a conference championship game and then gets fired. But last year was bumpy. You know, they were able to battle back just to make a bowl. But you know, I think that was a little bit surprising. I look at some of these jobs also, and you wonder, like some of these that came open and coaches have taken a job if they're like, oh man, I wish I would have taken that one. You know, I. I've I've heard rumblings about that Seth Luttrell thing for a while. Mm-hmm. North Texas is you know as it's moving to the American, it's it's got big eyes. I just wonder if its eyes might be a bit bigger than its stomach. You know what I mean? Like everything's I, bigger got, in Texas, Tom. Come on. Yeah, I know. I just it's it's like okay, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I appreciate his, the thought. I just don't know if he'll be able to pull it off. Just left the athletic director mm-hmm. who just got hired by West Virginia was in Seth Luttrell's camp. And then all of a sudden, when you lost the athletic director who was, you know, protecting you from uh, from the mob, they just, they came and they overran the castle. So they are hitting, like, new athletic director, new head coach, new conference. Here's, here's a I question for clean you. in Denton. Here's a question for you. Who will be older, the new coach or Austin Oni? <laughs> Does he have another year? Does he have eligibility? I don't, he <laughs> might because he didn't come back until, what, 2018? Oh my! Did goodness. you hear? I don't know how dialed in you guys were to that game, but we had Trailer on on the radio show the week before, and he told me, you know, we were asked to preview the game. He's like, "Well, he's like, I'm very familiar with Austin Ani. He's like, because my son was playing for me, and I was the high school coach at Gilmore High School in Texas, and he's like, and we got knocked out of the playoffs, and it was Austin Ani, and it was like 12 years ago." He's like, yeah, I'm familiar with him. I want revenge for him ending my high school season. It's crazy. Like at the 29 years old. There's one thing about Stetson being Bennett being 25. Like that's that's old. 29 going around with a bunch of college kids is old, old. Like you're not even hanging around with the kids. You're hanging out with like the coaches stat, like the mm-hmm. the coaches. Like who are you hanging with? It's gotta yeah. be awkward. For listeners who aren't familiar, Ani was drafted in like the second round yeah. out of out of high school. He was originally a TCU commit, was drafted in the MLB draft in the second round, played baseball for a few years, didn't work out, and then he came back to football in like 2018. 29 years old Mm -hmm. this past season. The gap between 29 and 19 is immense. 10 years does not even do justice to the gap that you have between 19 and 29, but uh, that was Austin Ani and some of his teammates. That's a man with a mortgage playing quarterback for the mean green. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, so we've got, you mentioned the conference of quarterbacks again, the 24 seven sports is to go on wall to wall transfer portal coverage over on their YouTube channel. Make sure you go and check that out. I'll be jumping over there for the 1 PM hour to discuss some of that as well. DJ Uyunglele, according to 24-7 Sports' Chris Hummer, expected to enter the transfer portal. Devin Leary, NC State quarterback, into the transfer portal. Graham Mertz from Wisconsin into the transfer portal. Hudson Card from Texas into the transfer portal. Keaton Slovis from Pitt into the transfer portal. Drew Pine from Notre Dame. Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. Uh, Kind of a a wave of Clemson players even beyond DJU. Miami's got a big exodus right now. How how are we even keeping track of all of this? Do we just let twenty four seven handle it and then send it? Yes. Hey, send me an email when everybody's done. Bud has seventy five monitors in that office of his, <laughs> and that's how he tracks who's in the portal. And I just ask Bud if I have a question about anybody in the portal. Bud, is this guy in? Yes. Okay. Thank you. 
We do have a pretty good tracker, right? At CBS Sports, that's the one I use. The one, yes, that, and you have do. the option of latest versus highest ranked. Right. I it's you said how do you track it? I just and I was talking to Houston Nutt about this. You know, coaching the SEC and worked with me up in uh, at CBS. He, you know, how do you like? I don't know. That's why we have guys like Barton. I mean, that's why Barton Simmons' position was created. Mm-hmm. General managers, player personnel directors, which also, by the way, have always been around at the NFL level. All of a sudden, they have to create positions. So there's an entire staff that knows. All right, we had we had relationship with this guy in high school. We almost we almost had him. We lost out to him. We've been keeping an eye on him. So I think you have, you know, I don't know if you guys have. I'm sure you've seen it when you watch the draft on you know NFL Network. When you see the the wall of names that's up there. They they've got them in every college at some room, and it's just plastered with names. And they probably prioritize. All right, this is our first calls. But I just think it's fascinating. Like there are going to be some surprises, and all of a sudden, like you come running in with that nameplate, and it's like, oh, boom, that goes right to the top. We got to go get this guy. It's wild. I, I honestly don't know how. I think it's going to cause, and I think we saw it this year. I think it's going to bring a lot of parity. You know? Did you see what happened? Uh, with the UCF Tulane game, what happened with Mikey Keene? So John Rice, he had been splitting time with John Rice Plumley, right? You know, went since Rice Plumley got hurt, and he was playing pretty well. They were winning games. They're playing in the conference championship game. He's not dressed out. Not dressed out because he wanted to preserve his eligibility, you know. So he didn't play more than four games, mm-hmm. and so he's like, "No, nah, I'm, I'm good." Where they needed him, Rice Plumley got knocked out, and they were in trouble, and it cost him the game. But and then Mikey Keene after the game, I'm in the portal. Like he wants to go have another year somewhere else. It's it is wild what's happening. I know we say it all the time. I just don't know if we ever fully appreciate exactly how nuts it is. And it's the Bud Bud released a short on this a couple, I think, a week or so ago. Like this transfer portal in particular is going to be nuts because it's these are recruits from the 2021 class, whatever the COVID year where coaches did not really get a chance to see these kids. It was kind of video scouting for a large part. And it was the last recruiting class before NIL became a thing. So none of these kids have had a chance to, you know, secure a bag for themselves in the recruiting process. So everybody's entering the portal with big dreams. How many of them will actually be able to achieve them? I do not know because that is a lot of quarterbacks in the portal. And I don't know how many teams are desperate to find a quarterback right now. I mean, everybody wants one, but a lot of them already have guys. That's what I'm curious to see because I feel like fans are window shopping everybody else's roster right now. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone believes that they have an unlimited war chest of NIL and they're just going to be able to go and get somebody. Coaches are going to be the ones that actually have to do the dirty work and and get these players to, to get out there and commit. A lot of quarterbacks out there. How many of them are even going to be starters when they land at a new at a new place? Because I don't, I don't, I just don't see enough positions right now where all of the hopes and dreams are going to be realized. You guys, you guys know Noah, who we work with here. He's a producer at CBS Sports HQ. So I have to do the show on Monday afternoons, and we're doing a transfer portal segment. And you know, I'm used to doing this in the NFL, and I don't really like it in the NFL. But it's like best fits. And so he asked me to give best fits for DJ Uyungle and Graham Mertz. And I don't want to, I don't want you guys to know what I replied. Back was, up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, uh, where do you want Lord? me to put them? I'll put them anywhere you want, but they're going to be holding the clipboard, you know? Like, yeah. I, and, but for, I say that, and yet 
There's a Michael Penix out there who totally, you know, now he rejoined with Kalen, so maybe you can find those ties. There, And this is why players do it, because there are success stories that gives them hope that says, oh, I could be that guy. I would just love to know the risk-reward, like the success-failure hit rate. Like, is it 50% that hit? Is it 30% that hit? Like, you go somewhere else and you succeed and you're happy. Or is I would guess its failure rate is higher, but I don't know because you there are a lot of examples. Joe Burrow, I mean, the list is really long of success stories, but compared to the number that are in the portal, like it's pretty. I think you'd have a page of guys that have transferred and didn't play, and you'd have you know a pretty select group that you'd be say, oh, these guys had success. When Everett yeah. Golson showed up at Florida State, we we're like, okay, let's go, and it. All right, but it wasn't right. like fulfilling all of the dreams of the best case scenario of leaving Notre Dame, showing up at Florida State, and having Balling. that work out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know the hit rate, but I saw the stat on Twitter the other day. Like, I can't remember the exact number, but since the portal was created, only 40% of the players who have entered the portal have found homes. Now, granted, the ones we hear about are the names we already know, the names that have entered the portal of players. And it's like, okay, we know they're going to end a job. And a lot of those guys are guys that probably weren't playing where they were and maybe were just entering the portal and then their career's ending. They were just trying to see if there's anything out there. But still, only 40% of the players who enter the transfer portal find a new spot. All right, let's get reckless with it. That's just find a roster, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, not let even alone succeed when you get it. Yeah. The lo- the the list though includes walk-ons, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. So- There's like a yeah. ton of guys in there that nobody's I- ever heard of, that nobody ex- ever expected anything from. But it's not always a spot for you when you enter. DJ wearing blue and gold. I mean that's UCLA what, or that's Oregon. what I put in my email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's this- what we're doing. Little tease for the show. I mean, we just like. Dorian, he he does not have the same exact same skill set as Dorian Thompson Robinson, but Dorian Thompson Robinson is another big quarterback mm-hmm. who can get out there and move. And so it is very easy for my brain to be like, I could see Chip Kelly looking at DJU and saying, Yes, and, I I can make it happen with him. And I will say that looking at DJU and what his skill set is and where he's been. I feel more confidence in Chip Kelly being able to get something out of him than I do the coaching staff he's currently playing under. In which case, it would be why you would want the transfer portal uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to be there so that players can find a little bit better fit when it's not working out. Again, over on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page, uh, be sure to go and check it out. Wall-to-wall coverage from our partners there. Well, coming up on the other side, we've got the whole bowl schedule set. All 41 of them. Tom Fernelli's got them ranked. Danny and I have some that we want to turn your attention to. The official bowl rankings, the bowls you don't want to miss. Get into that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Full bowl schedule is set again. Tom, for now, is the story live yet? Uh, don't think so. Oh. I've been looking for like the past 10 minutes, like trying to find your article. Like, like, damn it. I don't want to know last year's bowl games, how they ranked. (laughs) We got some lazy editors. That's all I got to say. If I I could write 9,000 word bowl rankings in a matter of hours from when all the games are announced. And then before we got to get it up on Sunday night, saying some editors could maybe edit it. (laughs) So, when we are looking at the entire bowl schedule, obviously you're like Georgia, Ohio State's a banger. Like not only is it a college football playoff semifinal, but it's Georgia and Ohio State. Tom, is that number one? Number one. Number yeah. one. Shocking. Okay. Shocking. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and work backwards from there. So what else? What? How does the rest of the top five round out um, for you? Number one is the Peach Bowl between Georgia and Ohio State. And shockingly, number two is the Fiesta Bowl between Michigan and TCU. Now, just to clarify, like these rankings are not scientific, although things like my ratings for the teams, totals, spreads, that kind of stuff does come into play because, you know, a a two-point spread in a game with a lot of points will probably be more attractive than a game that's projected to be a 14-point spread with a low amount of points. So, but mostly this is some numbers and a lot of vibes and just interesting matchups. So the top, the playoff games are one and two. Number three, I've got the Rose Bowl because I think Utah-Penn State could be a very fun game. Utah's the only team that beat USC this year. Penn State's only two losses have come to Michigan and Ohio State, and it has worked everybody else that it has faced. So I think it might not be all that different from the Rose Bowl we had last year between Utah and Ohio State. So I'm really interested in that one. Number four is probably going to surprise some people. The Cure Bowl, number 24, Troy, versus number 25, UTSA. The Sun Belt champion versus Conference USA champions. But it's also a very interesting matchup between these two teams in what should be a very entertaining game. So you don't think of the Cure Bowl as being like a top bowl game, but I'm telling you, it's going to be one of the best bowl games on the schedule. And at number five, I've got the Cotton Bowl, USC and Tulane. I just think that USC's offense, I'm going to want to watch it. I'm assuming Caleb Williams is going to be playing because he's not draft eligible. And then I look at Tulane, Ty J. Spears, one of the best running backs in the country I think most people aren't familiar with. Going up against that USC defense, typically when you see USC versus Tulane, you're probably thinking that's going to be a blowout. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I think Have this you is going to be spread? really yeah. I think it's one and a half to two points, right? Yeah, it's, I saw USC favored by two against yeah. Tulane. This is a USC team that has not even won a bowl game in like five or six years. Back to 2017 yeah. for the last USC win. This is the first major bowl game for Tulane since 1940, the end of the 1939 season. I I've got that Cotton Bowl so high on my list. Yeah, uh, I'm very very excited to see. Uh, how those two programs face off against each other. Because you know what also there ain't going to be? Ain't going to be many stops in that game. I know Tulane's got a defense that's been pretty good, but I I think that that's going to be a a very high scoring back and forth. Are you – so 
I did not have this one quite as high for two reasons. One, Caleb Williams, if he doesn't play, dramatically different looking game. I just don't want to hear, and I think we might, like USC, total letdown spot, right? They were on the cusp of the playoff. They're out. How bad do they want to be there? Because this is Tulane Super Bowl, right? You know exactly what we're going to get from them. And I just, I'm a little bit worried about USC mailing it in. And it's not because that's, and that's credit to USC, the season they had. It's not like, it'd be a lot of programs I would put in this category, Alabama being one of them, um, where I just wonder where their mindset is. I think it'll be a fun game because I think even USC, if they don't, because it always works the same, like, it's not like USC is not going to want to be there on game day. It's the prep leading up to it. You know, like, do they want to put in the work that they have to? And I just, I, I worry a little bit about that aspect, which is why I would definitely take Tulane in the points here. I think that USC in a lot of these spots, and it, it's funny because especially since we moved to a position where um, the college football playoff semifinals are, are always now positioned on a Saturday, like they're not trying to throw you that Tuesday New Year's Eve start like they did when they first started the New Year's Six. It happens to be that New Year's Eve is on a Saturday this year, but this game will be after the semifinals. Like mm-hmm. motivation is, you know, you're going to feel like you just already saw the conclusion of the season. And now here comes USC and Tulane on a Monday, January 2nd, 1 p.m. Eastern time, noon central. I, yeah, motivation might be an issue, but I tell you what I love about games in this spot. Once the game gets started, you normally do see teams wake up. Yeah. yeah. You get, you get scored on real quick. You get, you start to get hit. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, you know, blood, the juices do get flowing. And I would hope that uh, USC is able to answer because look, Tulane could like run USC yeah. if USC mm-hmm. doesn't show up. I learned a massive lesson last year that I promised myself I would take note of. I thought the Rose Bowl was going to be garbage. Remember all the opt-outs for Ohio State? I was like, oh, that's definitely infected the locker room. This team doesn't want to be there. And it looked like it for a little bit, but like Chip's point, they woke up and all of a sudden it was like, all right, we got a shootout on our hands. So I, and usually when you do mail it in, it usually is the defense that doesn't really want to be there. So you don't see quite as well, you know, the tackling's a little bit loose. So it leads to some shootouts. So I'm all Nothing for that. Nothing new for USC. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's right in. That was, what was it, the Boca Bowl last year? You were field yeah. level for it. And all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, business decisions left and right. <laughs> yeah, I always say that like bowls are, are great live betting opportunities yes. because – you know, it starts and it might be a sluggish start for one and or both teams, but there's always a point, you know, usually around like early second quarter, once we're maybe four or five possessions into the game where either both teams are going to wake up and we're in for something that's like super competitive or one team's going to lay down and this thing is just going to be a sim to end kind of scenario. Uh, Danny, I saw that you you held your list up to the camera right there for those watching on youtube.com slash cover three. What are the other bowl games that you've got highly ranked so far? I'm a little disappointed. I didn't hear the Orange Bowl in your top five. The all-orange just... Orange Bowl? Oh, yeah. It's the literal I, Orange I, Bowl. I like it for so many different reasons. Like, one, I think you're going to see a lot of offense. Even without Hendon Hooker, Joe Melton, I mean, Jordan's already you know fired up for this one. I was on with Barrett Salee, and he said that's his biggest lock is uh, Tennessee in this game. And I was like, all right, I'll side bet you on this one if you want. Also, just the whole dynamic to Cade Klubnick. Like, if he goes out there and balls, which I expect him to against this Tennessee defense, which isn't great versus the pass, like, does that just – because, man, this has got to be a rough go of it for Dabo, who dug his heels in for two years. And now you got a glimpse of what everybody 
thought could happen and you didn't want to see it. Like I, that aspect is really interesting. So I, I kind of like that. Like there's just a lot of different storylines to this game. I, I think it's going to be fascinating. Did you see Mac Brown say that he they weren't prepared? Yes. For yes. Mm-hmm. He's like, we didn't think he was going to play and we didn't want him to play. We we're like, we were going to win. He basically said, I mean, it was kind of a roundabout way of saying DJ sucks and we wanted to face him. Right? Yes. Yeah. But also that the, te- the staff had not prepared for the potential right. of them right. going to the He's stud. been so stubborn. There was no way he was going to change quarterbacks. Even though he's been awful, we thought we were going to see him no matter what. Oh. The other game is... And this is obligatory, but Florida State is playing Oklahoma in the Cheez It Bowl. That Dusty, the day yeah, yeah, we're gonna have yeah. we got some side action on the radio show between me and Dusty. Uh, the only thing I was thinking about, and I Noah, Florida State guy, we were just he comes in. What are you going to the game? He's fired up. There's not really an upside here. There's not much upside for Florida State. Like you're oh. supposed to win this game, right? And they're a touchdown favorite. I think they will. But if you lose, you carry away all that momentum that you had into the season. And for Oklahoma, they're pumped. They got a better bowl than they probably thought they would get. They got a chance to beat Florida State. Like there's a lot more incentive for Oklahoma to win, you know, play hard in this game. But I do think I've already seen some guys at Florida State that are opting in as opposed to, you know, taking off. So I think we'll be in good shape. But I think it was up there on my list too. And then I had uh I had some others on here. Um I had Texas Washington. Yeah, yeah that, that was a good game at the Alamo Bowl. I had um, Notre Dame at the Gator Bowl. Notre Dame versus South Carolina. I like let's let's see because Notre Dame owned the ACC, right? And let's let's see if they can push around South Carolina. South Carolina fish, finished on such a high note. Very curious to see how that game unfolds. Did you uh, do you have the T-shirts made up for Cox versus Catholics? <laughs> Not yet, but I'm going to buy one. That's for sure. <laughs> Cox vs. Catholics in Florida coming to you Uh-oh. live in Jacksonville. Now um, I gotta go to confession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Tom, what what are the, some of the other ones on the bowl rankings that uh that, that you want to make sure we highlight? Uh I have the Orange Bowl twelve, I have the Cheese It Bowl at eleven. I actually have the Gator Bowl at twenty-two simply because I don't know who Notre Dame's quarterback is going to be. Drew Pines in the portal, Buckner's out for the year. Who knows? Maybe Trench will get in before then. Uh Rounding out my top 10, I got the Holiday Bowl. I think Oregon, North Carolina could be a lot of fun just because kind of like the the Tulane-USC game, I don't expect there to be a whole lot of stops. I like the Las Vegas Bowl between Oregon State and Florida. I've got mm-hmm. that at seven, but if Anthony Richardson doesn't play, that really does impact that game. Sneaky Bowl game, two unranked teams, the LA Bowl, Fresno State and Washington State. Jake Hayner, Cam Ward. I'm going to tune in for that. And then you mentioned the Alamo Bowl. I got that at nine. At number 10, not a homer pick. Rely Quest Bowl, Mississippi State, Illinois. Styles make fights. Air Raid versus Air Illinois is- secondary. Yeah. I, I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out. And I think Mississippi State, too, defensively, stout against the run, going up against Illinois' strength on offense. It's going to be an interesting game. It's in Tampa on January 2nd, so it's kind of annoyed that Illinois is in a Florida Bowl game and it's in Tampa, which is where my dad lives. But because of work, I can't go to the Tampa game. <laughs> I mean, you could if you just want to go post up, like take the whole studio on the road. True, yeah. Just post up in my dad's crib. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how happy he'd be about that. <laughs> um, okay, so 
always, always one of my favorite bowl games is the Duke's Mayo Bowl. There's just a, a bowl game that's close to my heart. But how about NC State and Maryland? Old ACC mm-hmm. foes. Maryland was a thorn in the side of the NC State Wolfpack uh, two times in the last 22 years when NC State had a chance. We, we, I mentioned North Carolina hasn't won an ACC championship since 1980. NC State hasn't won an ACC championship since 1979. The Wolfpack never even got an opportunity to play for one in the division ACC championship game era. And two of those times when NC State was the closest, uh, Maryland was the last bit thorn in their side. It'll be very interesting uh, to see those those former ACC foes sh- showdown in Charlotte, uh, Kentucky versus Iowa again. I mean, they keep this is like an exhibition bowl games or exhibitions, but they just keep putting Kentucky against Iowa and they're just moving it to different bowl games. This time it's in the Music City Bowl. Everybody gets a piece of the Kentucky Iowa game, and so. Uh, how could I not be excited? And it's always at noon. You yeah. always have to have this game at noon. But this Music City Bowl is going to be a lot different than last year's between Purdue and Tennessee. And I'm a, I'm a freak. Kentucky versus Iowa is a sexy game to me. I really want to watch it. The problem is two years in a row, it just kind of takes some of the, the luster off of it. You know what I mean? It's like, because Miami and Wisconsin played two years in a row, and the second time almost had a little bit more spite to it. I think yeah. the second time was what ended Mark Rick's time as Miami's head coach. Yeah, but that's not like a great style. That wasn't a great stylistic fight. I mean, this is Kentucky and Iowa. This is Mark Stoops versus the program he's trying to become. So to have it two years in a row, eh, I don't know. Lose, losing a little bit of a uh, little bit of pizzazz right there. Also, Spencer Petrus isn't playing, and Alex Padilla is in the transfer portal. So I don't know who Iowa's quarterback will be. And also, Will Levis might opt out. In- Insert joke about both of the quarterback play for both of these teams. I oh my god! Watch Iowa put up forty-five points in yeah, this game. Yeah, like is Tory Taylor opting out? <laughs> like <laughs> I need to know what the punting status is for both of these teams. Um, another one that stood out to me. Obviously, we mentioned it. Uh, Louisville, Cincinnati, the Scott Satterfield Bowl is now incredibly uh, unique. Mm-hmm. How about Kansas, Arkansas? That is two very fun and interesting offenses going against two defenses that haven't shown much of an ability to stop fun and interesting offenses. So that could prove to be one of the better games of the bowl season and also a battle of Kansas, kind of. Our Kansas versus Kansas. So I was thinking about it because it's the Liberty Bowl and it's based in Memphis because Kansas is, uh, you know, obviously bowl eligible for the first time in a while. Um, Arkansas, you know, has been uh, a bowl team more often than not. But given the prox, like not total proximity, I hope I'm not getting my geography wrong. But I kind of feel like the Liberty Bowl will be well attended. That yes. both Kansas and Arkansas will will bring a, a pretty good fan base for that December 28th bowl game. Where I think that while stops might be few. I think the the atmosphere could be very competitive and very fun. Yeah, Arkansas fans Arkansas fans are great. They're going to travel, and I have to think Kansas fans going to a bowl game for the first time in forever are going to travel for the game as well. I just wish this had been Kansas versus Missouri like they wanted, but Missouri didn't want to do it. Mm. Cowards. Well, yeah, and now you know what you get, Missouri? You get sent to the Gasparilla Bowl to play Wake Forest. Yeah. So there you go. Do you want to hear my worst bowl games? 
Yeah, there are no bad bowl games. There are no bad bowl games. But said. My five lowest ranked. Uh, we'll start at 37, the Birmingham Bowl between Coastal Carolina and East Carolina, which could have been a really interesting game, but I doubt Grayson McCall is going to play in it, especially now that Jamie Chadwell's on the way to Liberty. Holt Naylor's is one of my favorite players to watch. He's like a kind of a cult figure in my eyes. So I'd, I'll be happy to watch him in one more game. I just don't know how interesting this game is going to be. Number 38, the Lending Tree Bowl between Southern Miss and Rice. It's a Conference USA reunion, I suppose, but Rice is the only 5-7 and seven team to reach the postseason this year. Not exactly the most enticing option, but again, I will watch every single damn one of these games. I yeah, that's bowls. also like, yeah, it's in the first Saturday, which is one of the mm-hmm. only days that you really get to have multiple screens going. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but break break out that extra TV for, for one last time because Saturday the 17th might be one of your last chances. 39, the Myrtle Beach Bowl between Marshall and UConn. Oh, come on. I'm so happy that UConn got to a bowl game. I really am. But, Chip, it's not that good of a team. I think, Marshall, there's a very good chance the herd might thunder through this one, and it could get ugly early. So it's got, it's got big blowout potential. I had to keep it at 39. Number 40, I love the location, but the Bahamas Bowl. UAB versus Miami, Ohio. Just it's not it's not the most it's not the sexiest matchup of the postseason. Like unless Trent Dilfer maybe coaches for this game, maybe that'll add a little bit more like cachet to it and make it more interesting to watch. But I don't see that happening. And then there is number forty-one, the first responder bowl, Memphis versus Utah State. Just. I don't know. Utah State is a different team from week to week. I have no idea what to expect. Memphis is a team to me that I feel like at the end of this season might just be ready to be done. So it's two six and six teams, two very inconsistent six and six teams. I just, it, that could make be the ingredients for a wild and wacky time. I'll watch, I'll find out, but I do not have the highest hopes for it to be entertaining. The people who put on the first responder bowl put in a lot of effort to be able to make sure the the event itself runs well. However, the pecking order is the pecking order. And when I'm filling out the bowl tracker and we see the word pool in the selection process, I'm like, oh, so like you are hanging out at the bar at 1.55 a.m. Like, Mm -hmm. all right, who's still here? You, me, you, me. And that's kind of what Memphis, Utah State feels like, <laughs> is that it's like, all right, well, these these two teams are bowl eligible. We've already slotted rice. Here we go. You two go home together. <laughs> Maybe they'll get married one day and laugh about it with their children. Memphis Maybe. and Utah State. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, what a right. child of a <laughs> what does that kid look like? Oh, uh, by the way, somebody in the chat asked about New Mexico State becoming bowl eligible. Yes, they are in the Quick Lane Bowl against Bowling Green. Quick Lane Bowl, of course, in Detroit uh, in the afternoon. Always a always a fun affair to be able to uh, to get your um, you know your December twenty sixth day after Christmas going uh, with with a little bit of Quick Lane Bowl. New Mexico, the only game State that day, by the way, too. Wow. Yeah. But there, well, you and me, I mean, Danny and Buttergod, we'll have Boxing Day soccer to get us through. Oh. <laughs> Boy, I'm really excited to see the effort of all those Premier League players who've been 
in the World Cup. No hammies and no like minor knocks, I'm sure. We are taking some boxing day overs this year, my friend, because there will be little effort on the defensive end. Let's go. All right, for the full one through 41 bowl rankings, make sure you check them out over at cbssports.com. If you are watching live, again, I will be on the 24-7 sports wall-to-wall transfer portal coverage at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And we will be back with you Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Brunelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. You're welcome. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.